You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the podcast. PUT is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the podcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am the Executive Director for Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And I'm excited to welcome you to a very special episode. Today, we are talking with Christina Borelli, who is the Executive Director for the Virginia Pharmacists Association. Christina, say hi. Hi. We're so glad to have you. And Howard Estes, who is an attorney in Richmond and the lobbyist for the Virginia Pharmacists Association. Howard? How are you doing? Welcome, glad to have you. And then I'm very pleased to introduce as our co-host today, PUTS President Scott Newman, who is also an independent pharmacy owner in Virginia. Scott? Hi, also a member of the Virginia Pharmacists Association. And also that, <laughs> very important to add that. So Scott, today we are talking about an amazing transformation that happened in Virginia. And, and I say that as someone who first visited, met Howard and Christina along with you, uh, what is it like two years ago now, one year ago now? Yeah, two, two, uh, two January's ago for our, our um, lobbying day slash pharmacy uh, uh, showcase at the Virginia legislature. Yeah, and it was a it was a really different world back then and some exciting things have happened, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yes, absolutely. So um, we had some really good, uh, I guess you could call it climate in the Virginia legislature this past session. And um, I, I'm going to basically hand it over to Howard and Christina because what we really want to know or our listeners want to know is how how much of it was unique to Virginia and how much of it was what efforts these guys put in on behalf of our independent pharmacies and, and the PBM problem where it can be used in other uh, states and methods that they've used. Um, and then, of course, obviously, we're going to talk about, you know, the ideal situation that we were in as well. And some of the the hurdles that we did have to overcome still here, even in the final hour, I think that we're still waiting for the governor to sign um, SB 251. Is that correct? Yeah. Howard or Christine? Okay. Okay. So um, I guess a little background. Um, DPHA went through a pretty big transition um, a few years ago, uh, had new leadership, and we brought Christina aboard and Howard aboard. And things have gone very well since then. So, um, I guess what I would I would ask is uh, Christina to maybe give us a little bit of where we were, and um, Howard, you can chime in too if you would, where we were and where we are now. Yeah. So thanks, Scott. Um, I've been with BPHA for about two years, a little over two years now. 
Um, and so we started laying the groundwork uh, for the PBM bill that we were able to get passed this year, um, last year back in 2019. So we did a couple of different things. And um, the, one of the main things that we did is we started educating legislators on the issue. PBMs are extremely confusing and that's how they like it. Um, so we, we had to do a number of initiatives to kind of educate uh, elected officials. And so one of the main things that we did was we started the Take Your Legislator to Work program. So that encouraged our members to invite legislators to their pharmacy. Um, and that allows the legislator to interact with patients that are visiting the pharmacy that day. But additionally, it allows um, the pharmacist to take the legislator behind um, the counter and, and, you know, protecting a patient's information, but show them what actually happens when they fill a prescription, process a claim, and see a negative reimbursement. So and this was very successful. This was very successful for us too. Um, and I want, I'd like to see if we can talk about this a little bit more um, and give, give good, maybe a couple of examples because I have had other organizations and other um, independent owners ask more about this because as far as I know, we're one of the only organizations so far that I've heard of that has actually done something like this and, and we found it very effective. Yeah, and I think um, that another thing that we did that um, Howard can talk a little bit about is um, we were fortunate that even though a piece of legislation did not pass in 2019 dealing with PBM reform in the mail order space, that we were given a joint commission on healthcare study that was done that looked at PBMs and the way that they were conducting business and the impact that they had on the cost of prescription medications. So we had two joint commission studies that were done um, in 2019 that were focused on PBMs. And I'll let Howard tell you a little bit about uh, those studies. Sure. Thanks, Christina. So uh, I guess before we get too much into the, the specific pieces of legislation, uh, I, I think Scott and, and Monique, your questions were, you know, can our efforts uh, that we have implemented in Virginia be duplicated in other states? And I, the short answer is yes. The, the education that Christina was talking about um, is really a year-round lobbying effort. Uh, you really just can't lobby uh, during the uh, session. Uh, Virginia, we have a, a short sessions and long sessions that are just 45 and 60 days apiece. And uh, so it's, uh, it really requires the uh, boots-on-the-ground effort of getting the legislators to understand what, what is it going on in their district. And that's a, a part of my, my philosophy is that there's basically in politics there are two things that you can trade. Uh, one of those is money and the other is votes. Um, but you need both to get elected. And so PBMs, as we all know, are very well healed and they uh, can really throw a lot of money. But what they don't have, which we have, are votes. And it's incumbent upon every single pharmacist to really get to know their legislators and be able to be on a first-name basis with them so that when they have issues, whether it's uh, reimbursement levels or the like, that they can actually uh, have somebody return a phone call. And also, to what Christina has been doing painfully uh, over the last two years, is really getting those legislators to understand what's going on uh, in their districts. Pharmacy deserts that are popping up uh, statewide uh, have uh, really opened up a lot of eyes, the negative reimbursements. They were shocked at some of those things. 
and, and this is not for lack of an organization. Uh, VPHA has been around for decades, and um, I've been representing them on the legal side for about 15 years, um, but was pulled over to help the uh, lobbying effort two years ago. And so we've been building off of a longer-term strategy, which uh, is not going to be a quick win, but it requires uh, discipline for, one, the education piece, but also to talk about pharmacy services in a different manner. The legislators have always heard about reimbursement issues with Medicaid, about loss of services, limited services, but they really have not heard about it in terms of access to care and really seeing the pharmacist not just as somebody with a white coat offering and selling a white bag, um, but really that they're a healthcare provider. They're uh, one of the easiest accessible healthcare providers and that the uh, the service dynamic is very uh, personal uh, rather than a mail order system, for instance. And really putting a human face uh, to that access to care issue, especially as we've looked at Medicaid expansion and the ACA, loss of primary care physicians, uh, it, 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 it really has lent itself to, those, the, to that human touch of, of argument. And it is a natural outflow from that for us to be able to talk very candidly about PBMs. And so we've been very aggressive at putting in legislation rather than re reacting to legislation, which has been uh, VPHA's historical mode. Christina really implemented a very uh, dynamic, um, aggressive legislative schedule that we were going to actually look for changes rather than have changes occur to us. And uh, that, uh, that, that strategy that she uh, really brought in it was a game changer, and we've really caught a lot of provider groups uh, off guard, uh, and we really caught the PBMs off guard. Uh, they were able to fend off last year uh, legislation with the Republican-controlled House and Senate. So we, we were fortunate with some changes there that some new faces uh, got to hear about pharmacy issues for the first time. But I, I think that regardless of your the, the party affiliation, uh, the issues of pharmacy really cross the aisle. And uh, as a result of that, we were able to get some studies uh, that really focused some energy with a, a specific group of legislators so that they were able to take really a deep dive in what PBMs do, how they operate, and realizing that uh, it's not just uh, a reimbursement issue, but it's an access to care issue, the pharmacy deserts, uh, but also that uh, to loss of economic activity in their district just simply because the PBMs or with mail order are really taking uh, the, that activity out of those districts so that there's a multiplier effect that was lost as the, the money is consolidated uh, in the hands of just a few uh, national companies. That's a very good point too because uh, one of the things that we try to do even working in our local city and in our districts, you know, we try to explain to like a city program, for instance, that, you know, when, when you hire a PBM or, or an insurance company that hires a PBM, that all that money does not go to your local businesses. It goes out of state to where their PBM corporate headquarters are. And none of it's reinvested in dance lessons or, or music lessons or anything in the local community. So it also affects the state as well. Um, I think Monique had a question for you. Yeah, I, and thanks. Thanks for that. 
I do have a question. I'm curious. We ask this a lot and we talk about this a lot at PUT, and that is the, the part that you said about developing that relationship with your legislators. So at this point, you know, Scott and I have attended many different kinds of lobbying days and they are all different and they, they all, you know, have a certain vibe to them, but they do have some things in common, which is a gathering of people in the industry showing up in mass at calling on legislators or their staff and then expressing a particular message. I'd love to know more about how you encourage developing these relationships and, and what advice you have for people who don't know how to start. Well, Monique, I mean, it's, it, it really is, it's a, it's a relationship, but it's really, they want your vote. They care about the, the businesses that are in their districts. So many times you'll have a pharmacist that lives uh, in a district of one member of, of or House of Delegates, um, but they may actually work, their business could be located in another district. That's a twofer in my mind, um, because you, you really want to have that relationship, but the, the relationship gets built back to what I was talking about, either money or votes. And you don't really need to have a, a great deal of money in terms of the donation aspect to the, can, to the campaign but it's uh, the, the vote and the influence that an individual pharmacy or, a, uh, or an outspoken pharmacist uh, can have in a district uh, is much larger than, than I think is fully appreciated. And the, these uh, folks that run for office, they wanna make a difference. They want to uh, not just uh, typically just go for power, but they really want to help their, their neighbors uh, folks that live in their district. And so it's a matter of just asking. And more often than not, uh, they may, may not vote our way, um, but I've, I've yet to see where a, a delegate or a senator refused uh, to meet with somebody, especially outside of session. And that's where the rubber hits the road, and that's building that relationship. And frankly, you're going to have other issues, uh, especially with, a, you know, with an independent pharmacist She's not just a, a pharmacist, but she's a small business owner. She uh, is training. She's an educator, uh, and, and and really plays a, a much larger role in the community uh, than just somebody who's um, going to work someplace on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and most of the pharmacists I've met, by the way, tend to be uh, very active in their community, whether it's uh, volunteer work or other roles. Legislators understand that and they get it. And it's, it's, again, it's very rare for a delegate or a senator not to know that somebody who's a pharmacist, who's a business owner, that uh, she's active in the community and is aware of who that individual is. And so... Yeah, I'm a really good example of that with Senator Cosgrove. Um, I met him originally through our local Rotary chapter and had a relationship with him and, and it's been very handy the last couple sessions um, to be able to just text him because, you know, I, I haven't had to educate him too much because I don't know that he really wants to learn that much about it. But what he does do is he's literally stood up and said, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I got a pharmacist in my district who is, and he, he doesn't like this or he doesn't, he wants this. And I trust him because he's my expert. So, that's right, Scott. And, and Monique, I think that's the thing is that there, um, I think sometimes uh, we kind of get down in our own holes. 
uh, and we don't really appreciate that these people represent us. They have really an obligation uh, and, and a desire to actually listen and, and hear uh, from their constituents. And that's why it's so important, though, to do that out of session uh, because it's, um, it becomes a more natural interaction because it's a constituent talking with a legislator in a very calm time. Uh, they're not being coached or pushed by opposition groups uh, or, or PBM's lobbyists. Uh, and it can be a very, um, very close relationship uh, and one that can be built over a period of visits uh, and discussions. And you know, we've, we, of course, uh, every year we have what we call pharmacy days. You were noting about people coming together uh, and one mass push for a day uh, to raise awareness of, of pharmacy issues. I've always viewed that as really that should be an opportunity to reinforce existing relationships. And uh, this year we met with um, more than 50% uh, of the legislators uh, on that day, uh, which is unprecedented uh, activity uh, for us. And uh, I like to quantify those kinds of activities because that way you know what you're doing uh, and year to year you can make a comparison. And I think we're starting now to see the payoff of that longer term strategy uh, with the legislation that, that happened this year uh, with PBMs. And just to touch on that briefly, one of the strategies we, we, we went through and found every transparency bill, uh, reimbursement bill, regulatory bill, uh, every piece of legislation that had been introduced or passed in, uh, in a variety of different states and researched that and pulled together a massive bill. Um, bill was um, close to 11 pages long, uh, single-spaced, and um, it, it was frankly everything in the kitchen sink. And we did that on purpose because the PBMs will bring in uh, not just hired guns, uh, but they'll also bring in uh, people from a national level, so not just their state representatives uh, that are lobbyists, but they bring in national groups. And um, that creates a real challenge when they've got an individual piece of legislation, they can parse it apart and, and usually kill it. But the bill was so massive that we were able to compromise and reduce it down to about five pages. Um, because it was things that we'd either already had in place from prior sessions that we just needed to tweak um, or that we were able to give knowing that we can go back at this another year. But that allowed us to seem to be uh, very reasonable, that we were accommodating uh, the other groups, and it made the legislators grow comfortable that doing this was the right thing. And by the end of the session, the tables had been completely turned where the PBMs really uh, viewed uh, as antagonistic, uh, as aggressive, that it was all about uh, grabbing money. It was not really adding value to the insurers. And so it was really uh, a sea change that we got to watch over the course of the session from committee meeting to subcommittee to full committee and then uh, across uh, to the other chambers. And it was because they fought for everything that they wanted to fight for and it made us to it made us look imminently reasonable from there yeah. um i would like to see if if we get to well, um if you want to add some more to that yeah, you certainly can but i was going to ask if um one of the two of you or at least howard start and, and christine maybe finished off 
We'd like to know like some of the, the juicy details about how this last session went and the, the wins and the losses and the conversations that happened, you know, alongside of things that where we almost lost it and things that we were surprised by. Um, maybe that's part of what you wanted to add, but I'll let, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so I just wanted to go back and say, you know, one of the things that we learned while um, doing the Take Your Legislator to Work program is, in general, when people are talking to elected officials, they are nervous. Um, and so I, I tend to go to most of the Take Your Legislator to Work visits so that the pharmacist can just talk about themselves and talk about the business, and then I can come in with the ask. But uh, I encourage people to realize that elected officials, unless they are in the healthcare space, and even if you're in the healthcare space, that doesn't mean you, you understand or have an appreciation for pharmacy, they don't know what you're talking about. So don't feel nervous when you're trying to educate somebody. I mean, there, I uh, was telling Scott recently about how I had a member who uh, brought their legislator to work. And here in Virginia, we have a part-time legislature. So all of our elected officials typically have, you know, a regular full-time job. And this uh, pharmacist had a delegate come in and the delegate um, came in and he was in Carhartt's overalls uh, for the visit. And the pharmacist was like, uh, is this is this normal? Is this okay? I've invited the local paper to cover this delegate's visit to my pharmacy and he's wearing his overalls. And it was because the delegate is a farmer. So when the farmer comes in and is talking to a pharmacist, they're not going to know anything about PBMs, how a claim is processed, even though they are actually a person that gets a prescription filled too. So I encourage people to not be intimidated about talking with your elected officials because it's very important that they hear from you, as Howard has said, and that you are the subject matter expert on, um, on the topic. So don't be intimidated, just go for it. So some of the interesting things that happened for us is, um, as Howard has mentioned, we had a complete change of control in our House and Senate. And so it, it was a completely different dynamic this year for all healthcare issues, not just pharmacy issues. Um, with the new Democrat-controlled majority in both chambers, they were really focused on ensuring that patients had access to care and that patients could afford that access to care and that there were lots of options to get care. And so we really took advantage of that. I think additionally, um, the change in control of the chambers um, helped us with our State uh, Bureau of Insurance. Uh, we met with the State Bureau of Insurance prior to um, the end of 2019, and um, we, we thought it was going to be very difficult to get PBMs licensed here in the state of Virginia. So our original legislation required the state to register the PBMs, um, and then we get into session and we have a new majority and we find out, oh wait, the, the Bureau of Insurance no longer has a fiscal impact to license PBMs. So we were quickly able to pivot um, that portion of the bill and uh, change it from a registration process to a licensure process, which obviously pulls more authority with that. Well, I was, obviously I was, I was I'm kind of uh, uh, 
part and parcel to some of the things that occurred because I was with you with a couple of those meetings and we stay in good communication, which I really do appreciate, by the way. Um, just, just some of the, the ins and outs of how the bill went through, how the two bills went through process um, and where we're at still with SB 251. Um, I think that the listeners probably would really enjoy how we came to the two identical bills and how that went through 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 session and of course uh with with Keith being an independent pharmacy owner and a uh a delegate you know him sponsoring that bill just a little bit about how it went through and the ups and downs till we got the governor's uh, amendments and stuff that happened uh 2 weeks ago I guess it was yeah so we I guess I'll, I'll uh, through that yeah we we started hearing so election happened in November. We started hearing from a ton of legislators saying, I get this PBM stuff, I wanna put in a bill. And so when we started session, we had our two VPHA introduced PBM bills. But then on top of that, we had about 10 other PBM bills that legislators had put in. And some of them were just transparency, some of them were outlawing spread pricing, some of them were um, more directed at pharma. So there was just a plethora of bills out there. But as Howard has mentioned, our bill was a mammoth bill. I mean, it had everything that was out there and more. So we met with a bunch of legislators and said, hey, let our bill be the vehicle uh, because we feel like that that's a good place to start. So we ended up on the House side rolling in three other bills into our bill. And then on the Senate side, we combined two bills into our bill. So the, the benefit uh, here in Virginia in doing that is you have more co-patrons and co-sponsors listed on the bill. And so for both of the bills, we had bipartisan support. Uh, we had Republicans and Democrats signed on to both versions of the bill. And so it, it really helped us when we were looking to negotiate because um, it showed that this issue was was not on one, one side of the aisle. So we were able to work the bill having the, the bipartisan support. Uh, what happened was, as Howard mentioned, and we, we typically do this, we've done this the, the last two sessions where it's me and, a How, me and Howard sitting in a room with 15 people on the other side fighting for sections of the bill that they don't like because what we, we attempt to do is have a conversation and, and the good news is being a pharmacy association and having such great members, what do my members love to do? They love to give me examples. So everything that we have in the bill when they try to say that, oh, we don't lock pharmacies out from specialty contracting, oh, well, I'm so glad you brought that up because here's an example of how you prohibited an independent pharmacy from getting into a specialty contract. And so we kind of, we sit in a room, it's painful. Howard likes to say that I get extremely quiet during these meetings and uh, that's mostly because the amount of uh, lying that's going on, I'm just waiting for God to strike somebody. But um, so it, it it's a long, painful negotiation, and we just sit there and we try to work out as much as we can. And then at the end of the meeting, we just agree that we're not going to see eye to eye on certain issues. And at that time, that's when we go back to our bill patrons and say, listen, we met with the PBMs. Um, this is what we were able to compromise on. These are just business decisions that we 
don't want to happen anymore, and this is the impact that it's having on patients. And so at that point, we just go into committee agreeing to disagree and um, just have to be able to go in and defend the bill and what the bill is actually doing. And so um, I think a very important point to this is that, you know, when when you go into a committee meeting and you have a PBM that's trying to say that spread pricing is a good thing and you just, I mean, you know that it's not. And so you have to be able yeah. to talk to members outside of the meeting and say, okay, let me, let me show you. And the best news of all of this was I, there was a significant number of information that was released about PBM profits for 2019 during the 2020 session. And I think there was like an Anthem study that came out that said that since they acquired their own PBM, that they made like a billion dollars. And so Mm -hmm. we were able to take all of that information that was coming out real time and blast it out to all members and say, here's why spread pricing isn't a good thing. And here's who's actually profiting from patients having a higher copay. So we were able um, to do all of that. Well, um, the House version of the PBM bill was signed back on March 10th. So that's the the bill that was patroned by Delegate Hodges, Delegate Head, Delegate Samira, and Delegate O'Quinn. And then the Senate version, the governor had longer to act on um, because it got out later in session. And so fast forward to reconvene session, which was on April 22nd, and the governor offered an amendment and was told that this was a technical amendment by CBS. And what it actually did, so part of the bill prohibits the PBMs from counting their affiliates into network adequacy. And I'm sure a lot of people know that what's going on right now is PBMs are building networks with their own affiliates and offering them one contract and then they're offering everybody else another contract. So this would say and that claiming network doing, adequacy. Yes. So I think what happened is there were some corporate attorneys that read the bill after the fact. Um, and then they also got an opinion from the Bureau of Insurance and they realized that it, it wasn't just to mail order networks, it was to brick and mortar networks, it was to all of their networks that they could no longer use their affiliates. So the the governor's office said that they thought it was a technical amendment. CVS was going around and telling everyone that our, our bill patron, Senator Edwards, had agreed to it. He had not. And so we we got into reconvene session and there was a lot of shenanigans going on and it was voted on twice. It almost came up for a third vote. But thankfully, the Senate shot down the governor's amendment 21 to 19. And so the bill is back in the same form that it is in the House um, and prohibits the PBMs from using their own affiliates to build networks. And the governor has until April 22nd, um, excuse me, May 22nd to sign it. Um, But even if he doesn't sign it, the House version is already in law. So. So, so real quick, why is that important that they, like, if we have the House bill um, already there and it's an identical bill on the Senate side, and if they would have gotten that amendment passed, just real quick, what would that have, how would that have affected our legislation? Right. It would have, it would have been two, two different versions of law in effect. So it would have been 
the the carve out language for their brick and mortar stores. Gotcha. So it's important if he so at this point because that got swatted down, rather he signs it or not is really no big deal because it can't be changed and it can just be uh, the house bill will be the law anyway. Correct. That's awesome. Very good. So so bringing it all together, your victory this this transition from what was a pretty bleak environment in which to practice pharmacy to what is now a much more hopeful and inclusive environment for independent pharmacies putting it together that's been a result of the work that you've done with your take a legislator to work program with your uh, getting information in the hands of legislators uh, talking with them outside of session. You mentioned information that is provided. I, it so resonated with me, that thing you said about just waiting for God to strike as they're lying there. Uh, but when you talk about presenting information, what types of information? So for someone who's listening to this, who's wondering what they should be presenting, what advice do you have for them? What should they be bringing or providing? Yeah, so I think obviously I would suggest relying on associations that are out there that are gathering the information um, because, you know, I think we all have to work together and I, that's one of the things that we work towards is kind of streamlining what was being presented on behalf of pharmacy here in the state of Virginia. So I, I think, you know, there are a number of great resources out there. Obviously, PUD is one of them. Um, and a number of national associations that we partner with to, to gather data and present it. Um, and so I think that that's really important. And I do think that overall, and, and maybe it's, I've only, maybe it's only because I pay attention to it now that I'm here, but I do think that there has been a media focus on pharmacy and the cost of prescription medication. I, I feel like nationally that's become a hot topic um, I know that we've been able to build stronger relationships with our congressional delegation around this subject. And so I, I do think that there is a spotlight nationally on what can be done to decrease the price of prescription medication and so that you have a lot of national publications that I don't think used to pay as much attention to pharmacy um, that are now more aware of how um, impactful um, the profession of pharmacy is. And so they're, I think that they're doing a lot more to cover those topics as well. And on, on that note, um, tell us where we're going next year and where we're at with um, a possible carve out and bringing Medicaid back into the state control. So, uh, I mean, everyone needs COVID money right now. Uh, the, the revenue projections for Virginia just came out today and I haven't had a chance to fully review everything, but I think it said for for the month of April, we're down like 14%. So the state needs to find money someplace to pay for COVID. And, and we obviously know that carving out pharmacy benefits and Medicaid is going to save, I, we, we think conservatively, it'll save $90 million. And so we, we are moving forward with that. We, we believe our General Assembly is going to have to come back into town um, over the summer to look at the budget because the forecasting is going to be substantially different. So we are taking this time uh, to educate members on what pharmacy benefits are, again, 
what Medicaid is paying PBMs, what taxpayer waste is going to PBMs, what the savings could look like for the state. And then lastly, the most important part of this, and I think we all learned this from West Virginia, who's been a great example on this, saving the money is one part, but paying pharmacies what they should be paid for dispensing prescriptions is the even bigger news story. I mean, West Virginia infused $122 million into their economy by paying pharmacies what they should be paid. So here in Virginia, back to what Scott was talking about earlier with keeping that money here in the state, support your pharmacy. I mean, what way would you rebound a pharmacy and rebound a local economy by paying a pharmacy what they should be paid and allow them to hire delivery drivers, you know, more technicians, more front-end cashiers. So the impact on the economy, I think, is the big news story here that not only can we save money, but we can bolster um, the bottom line for pharmacy. Exactly. I think that is well put. Very well put. Well, uh, thank you for your time today, Christina. If there's anything else that you wanted to add or if you want to plug, plug BPHA, you can go ahead and do that too. We appreciate you being on and we'll thank Howard too. I know he had to jump off, but um, I'll let Monique finish up. If, um, if you have anything else that you want to add, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks so much for being a great partner and helping us uh, with always having the great information. I'm, I will tell you, I wanted to uh, members pharmacy to do a take your legislator to work visit, and she had all these printoffs. And I look, and I was like, "Where'd you? Hold on, what are what are you showing me? Where'd you get this from?" And then I looked, and I was like, "Oh, putt. Okay, you can use this." Um, so thank you so much for for always putting out the good information, the comparison slides that that I love to see. And I just encourage anyone um, who's out there and is not a member of your of your state association um, to take a look at that. I know here in Virginia, uh, we're very concerned about protecting, promoting. Uh, the profession and ensuring that pharmacy has a future. And so I, I appreciate everything that everyone's doing out um, in their community right now to support patient care and to also um, keep us all moving during the COVID response. So thank you very much. Well, thank well you, said. Christina. We appreciate thank you too. Yes, definitely. And, and we thank Howard for his time with us today as well. Virginia's been a, a hopeful and inspiring case study and we're going to be watching as you continue to do the great work that you're doing out there. Scott, thank you so much for leading the conversation today. I uh, hope you had fun with thank that because you. you're going to be doing more of those in the future. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woo <-hoo. laughs> All right. And to everybody else who tuned in today, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast and thank you for your support of PUT. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us comments in the comments section of whatever platform you're listening to us on. And with that, we will say good afternoon and we will see you next time on the podcast. Thank you.